Father, what a beautiful name you have, the name of Jesus. We thank you that we can gather here in your name this morning and we just have an expectancy that, God, you're just going to touch our lives, that uh, we're not just going to be hearers of your word, but, God, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to enable us to live out your word in a way which is going to be God-glorifying. So, Lord, we pray that you just have your way in us and through us this morning and that you just breathe on your word to cause it to be life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to continue the series that we started a couple of weeks ago on winning the battle of the mind. And if you were with us a few weeks ago, we talked about the way we think determining our destiny. And we can change the way we think. And a couple of the ways that we looked at were to check our inputs, recognize wrong thoughts, wrong thought patterns by reading the word, uh, rejecting the wrong thoughts and replacing them with God's word. And this morning I want to talk about three influences, three influences on the way that we think, uh, because we're talking about transforming our lives and transforming our minds. Penny and I have been in Whangarei for 23 years now, and during that time we've seen change in the city, but honestly, we want to see more. We want to see drunkenness being replaced with people filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to see people who have no hope finding hope in Jesus Christ. We want to see the culture of the kingdom become the culture in Whangarei. Uh, we want to see God's kingdom come and his will done in Whangarei as it is in heaven. Amen? Yeah. The question is, how can that possibly happen? How can Whangarei's culture and God's kingdom collide? Well, Transformed people transform cities. And people are transformed by having their minds renewed. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, verse 2, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The problem and the challenge that we have is that we haven't been transformed, so we don't think the way that Jesus thinks, so we don't act and respond in situations the way that Jesus would act and respond, and we don't carry the overflow and release of the presence of God to break through in in situations the same way that Jesus would, but we're on a transformational journey. And this is similar to the journey that the apostles had to go on from the time that Jesus chose them uh, as fishermen and others to the time that he released them to carry on his kingdom power and kingdom's work. Uh, In Mark chapter 8 and verse 13, we see that Jesus had got into the boat, and they were crossing with the disciples to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf, which they had with them in the boat. And Jesus said to them, he said, Be careful, watch out 
for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And the disciples discussed with one another and said, it's because we have no bread that Jesus has said this. And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of, of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And I must admit, the first time I ever read that, I didn't understand either. And if you're honest, most of you won't understand what, what uh, Jesus is talking about there. But, but Jesus wasn't talking about, he wasn't addressing the issue of there being a lack of bread on the boat. And he says that because uh, when he hears them talking about a lack of bread, he says, hey, guys, bread isn't the issue. Don't you remember what happened when we fed the 5,000 and when we fed the 4,000? Bread isn't the issue. What Jesus was talking about was something completely different, and he uses the analogy of yeast. Now, how many of you, probably older people, have ever made up uh, ginger beer or yeast drinks? Yeah. Anyone had exploding bottles in the pantry yeah, when you put too much yeast in and everything? Oh, we used to have fantastic time. Uh, the, the <laughs> we, we would um, put little bits of sugar in it, and i put the... Um, the glass of ginger beer or in the hot water cupboard, and then uh, the next morning, you'd pour in a little bit more sugar, and the whole thing would just absolutely froth up, and it was just so absolutely fantastic. We don't do that these days. We buy Bundaberg. But one of the things that uh, Penny does do all the time is she bakes her bread. And uh, one of the things you realize that when you're baking bread is a little bit of yeast goes a long, long way. And heat activates yeast. So when Jesus is using the analogy of yeast, he is using it because all Jewish households knew what yeast was like. They all knew that you put a little bit of yeast in, it goes a long way. And so when Jesus is talking about yeast, he's talking about influence. Jesus is talking about the yeast of the kingdom in Matthew 13, 33 says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. In other words, it's supposed to have an influence. And in these particular verses that we've just read, he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Now, the yeast in this verse stands for the teaching or the thoughts or the influence or the mindset of those particular areas. And so Jesus highlights three influences in this verse that we are all impacted by. He talks about the spirit of the world system, the influence, the mindset of the world as represented by Herod. He talks about the religious spirit, the religious mindset of the Pharisees. And he talks about the kingdom influence or the kingdom mindset that Jesus wants us to be transformed into. And these influences, these mindsets affect how we think, they affect our perspective on life, and therefore they affect how we act. We come from a worldly mindset. 
All right, that's how we are before we're born again. But when we are born again of the Spirit of God, uh, we want to transform our thinking to a kingdom mindset so that we can live an effective kingdom lifestyle. So I just want to highlight what the worldly, the Herod mindset, and what the Pharisaical mindset is like. Uh, first of all, the worldly mindset thinks we have to help ourselves. We're in the boat without any bread because we forgot to bring bread, so the next time, make a list. Sounds good, doesn't it? Good analysis, good advice. But the underlying philosophy of the Herodian mindset of, is that you are the answer to your own problems and issues of life. And that's the mindset that the disciples had when they found a crowd of 5,000 with no food. Their first reaction was, Jesus, send these people away. And when Jesus said to them, feed them, they respond, they say, what? It will take a year's wages to feed them. That's the way that you and I tend to think because that's the way we've been brought up. And the consequence of this mindset is that when we have a problem, instead of going to God and asking him for a solution, we try and work it out for ourselves. And so we become self-reliant rather than God-reliant. Whereas Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and then all the other things will be added. When I came to Whangarei, 20-something years ago, uh, after a couple of years, I took up golf. And not knowing whether I really was going to get serious about the sport, I, I went into the local golf, golf store, and for $450, I bought a set of clubs, um, some golf balls, a trundler, all the works, $450. After a few years, when I'm starting to get serious about this, I realized that if I was going to improve in my golf, I needed to get some better clubs. And specifically, I needed to get a better driver. Now, the driver, the number one club, uh, in those days, a top-of-the-line driver would be $1,200. All right, I paid $450 for the whole shooting match, remember? One club, $1,200. And so I thought, uh... I'll have a look around, went to the warehouse, saw that they had reasonable clubs for $450. So I decided that's the club that I'm going to get. So I went home to talk to Penny about it. <coughs> now, Penny and I have been married now for 41 years. And right from the beginning of our marriage, we made a decision that... No matter how much we were earning, if we spent more than $50 on anything, or if we wanted to spend more than $50, we had to agree on it. Now, in Hamilton, it was amazing how much you can buy for $49.95. <laughs> and when I was down at the local um, tackle store, uh, I used to make sure they put stuff in brown ba bags, not that green bag which gave it away. So $49.95 was my limit. In this case, I went to Penny, I gave her all the information, told her what I wanted to do, and she prayed about it. Now, who on earth prays about buying a golf club? I mean, that's just crazy. But anyway, 
she goes and prays about it, and I'm pretty hopeful. A couple of days later, she comes back and she says, you know, I don't, I don't really have a peace about it. I thought, peace? <laughs> you don't have to have a peace about buying a golf club. And so she said, no. I couldn't believe it. Man, it was stinking our household for a month. She was nearly sleeping in the spare room. It was cold during dinner time. Oh, dear me, I was not a happy chappy. I mean, it's only $450. We could afford it. We had the money. Anyway, so I thought, oh, so I go back to her again after a few weeks and get her to pray again. No, she still wouldn't budge. I thought, oh, you've got to be joking. About three months later, I'm playing golf with my Korean friends, and I'm too embarrassed to tell them that my wife wouldn't let me buy a golf club. And um, they said, oh, Pastor Don, uh, have you bought that golf club yet? Because I've been talking about it for months and months and months and months previously. And I said, no, no, I just, I haven't felt right about getting one yet. (laughs) Lying hound. <laughs> anyway, the the Korean. Yeah, thank you. I needed that. Anyway, the um, my Korean friend said, "Oh, good." He said, "We have a man coming back from Korea. We want to buy you top of the line professional golf club uh, for Christmas." And they did. Twelve hundred dollar golf club. Oh, I went home. I fell at pity's feet, and I thanked her so much for not letting me <laughs> buy that stupid warehouse golf club. <laughs> oh, dear me. Kingdom thinking, worldly thinking. You see, if as a believer I face a problem and I don't choose to bring God into the situation, then I'm living the same way as an atheist. And I believe in being responsible. I believe in taking responsibility for our actions and working as hard as I can with the gifts that God's given us. But we have to look to God for the increase and we have to look to God for a breakthrough. And the more often we bring God into a situation, the more often He has the opportunity to cause miracles and growth in our lives. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle. That's our, that's our responsibility. We need to do the preparation. But then it goes on and says, but victory rests with the Lord. See, God never intended for us to live solely in a natural realm. He told us to pray, let your kingdom come and your will done. The material world is not an end in itself. It's a signpost that points to the invisible. The atheistic world stops at the signpost at the natural, but there is a nature above the signpost, which is the supernatural kingdom of God. Now, sometimes God will provide miraculously straight off, but most often I find that God's provision is initiated when he says to us, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Use or give what's in your hand to me, even though what seems to be in your hand is totally inadequate to get the job done. 
the reality is, when we give it to God, He has the opportunity to breathe on it and bring to pass the supernatural. God doesn't ask us to feed the 5,000 without His help. He doesn't ask us to change the world by ourselves. In fact, sometimes I think that we, we put on ourselves a higher calling than what God puts on us. One of us isn't going to change the world. God's not asking for that. But what he is asking is that we do what we can do. And then when we do what, he can, what we can do, he does what he can do. He just asks for the loaves and the fishes that we all have. And when we give that to him in faith, he breathes on it. The question is, today, can you do something good? Can you do something good in your family? Can you do something good in your neighborhood? Could, could you do something good? Just something good for somebody. Because when we do something good, God will do something great. And we get transformed in our thinking from being self-reliant to becoming God-reliant. I learned the lesson of the golf club. And I've remembered that. And I apply that most times. Most times. <laughs> he also uses miracles in our lives to teach us about his nature and to build our faith for future problems that we face. The disciples were supposed to learn from the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, and they're supposed to apply it, because once we experience a miracle, it's supposed to be a standard in our lives. When I was born again in the Spirit of God, back in uh, university in 1971, uh, God healed me completely. And it was something that I couldn't figure out with my mind. I was a biotechnology student. Everything was one plus one equals two. And here God supernaturally intervened, completely healed my hand and my arm. And from that moment on, because of that miracle, my mind changed because I then could see, because I'd experienced it for myself, that God was a supernatural healing God. Because he answered my prayer, my mind was changed and I knew that not only there was a God in heaven, but I knew that there was a God in heaven that answered prayer. And that affected the way that I looked at life. It affected the way that I grew in the things of God. And it happened to the disciples again when they were rowing across the lake into a headwind, getting nowhere. Uh, we see the story in Mark chapter 6, verse 52. Jesus comes walking to them across the water. He gets in the boat. And he chastises the disciples because they hadn't learned the lesson of the loaves and the fishes. They were rowing hard, they were rowing hard, they were rowing hard, they were getting nowhere, they'd been rowing all night. And they hadn't once cried out to God for his help in their situation and circumstances. We need to be people who carry not the worldly mindset of trying to get through and do everything for ourselves, but we need to grow into that kingdom mindset 
which relies on the Lord Jesus Christ to help us in our everyday situations and our circumstances. We have to recognize that our lack isn't a hindrance to God moving in supernatural way. In fact, it's often a starting point. Amen? So then you've got the East of the Pharisees. Now, this is the religious mindset that has God in form and not in power. It provides explanations rather than solutions. It provides form and rules instead of intimacy and relationships. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, Paul warns Timothy that in the last days there's going to be people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. And this is something that we can easily slip into. Uh, One of the hallmarks of religion is denying the power. Other characteristics are judgmentalism, a less grace, more legalistic approach to situations, self-righteousness through works, uh, critical, condemning, it seeks to understand but is powerless to release kingdom power into situations as a solution to the problem. One of the lies of a religious mindset results in us feeling that we are never, ever good enough. We always have to do something more or live a perfect life to earn God's favor and his salvation. How many people would admit to having that from time to time? Because I do. It's just, it's just the way the enemy, enemy tries to plague us. But the, rea- the reality is nothing which we can do can possibly pay the price of our sin. Nothing that we can do can earn God's favor in itself. It's by grace we are saved, through faith, not by works. Works are a fruit of our faith, not a requirement for our faith. Fruit... Um, Works come out of us believing. Works come out of us being saved. Works come out of us receiving the love of God. They are not a requirement for God loving us. Because it says that God loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. Before we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Nothing that you can do can possibly earn your salvation. It's by grace. The disciples were in that mindset when they came across a blind man. And they said, why is this man like this? Is it because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? Now, sin does cause sickness. It's true. But that man didn't need an explanation for his condition. He needed healing. And Jesus said, he isn't blind because of his or his parents' sin. He's blind so the power of God can be manifest. And we're all subject to influence by the mindset of the world and the religious mindset. But God wants us to be transformed in the way that we think and be renewed by a kingdom influence. Then we'll be able to see that every problem is an opportunity for the power of God to be manifest. That Power will come in an increasing measure as we continue to develop that kingdom mindset of intimacy and God reliance. So the question is, how do we do it? How do we do it? Okay, 
How do we control our thoughts and win the battle of the mind? Well, last time, remember, check your inputs. Recognize wrong thoughts and wrong thought patterns by reading the Word of God, rejecting the Word, uh, the wrong stuff, and replacing them with God's thoughts. Secondly, sow seeds of godly thinking. Galatians 6 verse 7, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. People reap what they sow. Turn to the person next to you and say, you'll reap what you sow. Now, that may be a good thing or it might be a bad thing, all right? But those who sow to please their sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. But those who sow to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The soil of our heart is neutral. The soil of our heart is neutral. I love gardening. I hate pulling weeds, but I love gardening. And I realize that if there is no seed in the soil, nothing is going to grow. So when I till the ground and I get rid of all the old stuff that's been there, I pull out all the weeds, put in the fertilizer. What I sow, that's what's going to grow. So I sow broccoli and we've got a fantastic crop of broccoli. I sowed spinach, we've got a fantastic crop of spinach. Find scriptures in the Word of God about the type of character you want to have. Then pray those verses to God. Meditate in your mind. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Then you will observe to do according to all that is written in there, and then you will have good success. So if you want to be loving... Start reading and start meditating on all those verses that talk about love. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Start meditating on those. Start sowing those things into your, into your life. You want to be forgiving? Find verses and sow seeds on forgiveness. And by the way, if you weren't here last week and heard Joel Holmes speaking on forgiveness, it's a great message. Go and have a listen to it. On our um, webpage, you'll find the podcast there. But start sowing seeds of godly thinking into your mind because what you sow is what you're going to reap. Secondly, if you're struggling with your thought life, then share your struggle with somebody else. Uh, James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Tell someone that you trust. When you keep things in the dark, Satan controls you. When you get it into the light, the Holy Spirit can help you. And if you're really struggling with dark, even dangerous thoughts, where everything seems hopeless, remember with God there is always hope. He's the God of hope. There is help available. Get prayer support and get practical support. If you can, it appears that the shooter who killed those two innocent women on Wednesday, when the police investigated the situation, found that this man had been in a really dark place in his mind for some time, and he didn't seek help, either from a minister or from a health professional. It's not a lack of faith 
to go to a doctor. Okay? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. We have got a whole heap of health professionals in our church. And I encourage people. God gives them fantastic gifts. Use them. About um, 12 years ago, in the middle of a Hillsong United tour, at that stage, Hillsong United was one of the top worship, most influential worship bands in the world. In the middle of that tour, I get a call to come down to Auckland and pick up Pete, our eldest son, because he'd had a complete breakdown. And it was fueled by burnout. He'd been working 24-7. Uh, he'd had, had hardly any sleep uh, before the tour. Gets on tour. He's rooming with a, um, with a guy who had a number of issues that needed to talk and talk and talk and talk. And so Pete was just absolutely wiped out. And got to the point, he just let go. So what do we do? We prayed. And yes, we saw miracles. I mean, look at Pete now. Number one keyboardist at Hillsong Church played on 50 albums or more that are platinum albums. Right now, he's touring through South America and through the bottom half of the United States with a group called Multitracks who are taking him through these countries to uh, teach keyboardists. He's doing keyboard uh, workshops. But it was a partnership with the medical profession and then learning to put godly boundaries in place to prevent future problems. If you're struggling in an area, get help. Because God blesses us when we reach out and say, hey, I can't do it by myself. Get some help and see what God will do. Fourthly, do warfare for control of your thoughts. I love 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. It says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. I love that. The weapons that God has given us have divine power. Divine power to demolish strongholds. So those strongholds are things in our minds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ? We recognize a wrong thought. We reject it in Jesus' name and we replace it with the godly answer. Most of us have prayed and have battled for our families for breakthrough, for healing. We've prayed and done warfare over relationships, over marriages, over finances, over loved ones that haven't been saved. I remember doing battle warfare, Penny and I, um, praying for my son, uh, my son, my brother, Alan, uh, who's five years younger than me, and putting a prayer request in for him and seeing two days later him getting saved absolutely miraculous. God gave him a spiritual dream that he was on a trip and uh, God just touched him in such a way he's still living for Jesus Christ today. 
And that is absolutely amazing. We've done battles for our family members, yet very few of us have done battles for the way that we think. Yet it's possibly the biggest battle that we will ever face because if we can get our thinking aligned with the Word of God, our lives will begin to get aligned with the Word of God. And then if our lives get aligned with the Word of God, we will be transformed in the way that we're living and we will have a greater influence, a greater impact, and we'll have a better life. Take authority over wrong thoughts. Ask God to put a wall of fire around your mind. Cover your mind in the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians 6, 11, it says, put on the full armor of God that you, may be, that you may be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. In fact, I'm going to read this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because the devil's schemes to pull you down. He doesn't want you thinking the way that God thinks. He wants you thinking the way that he thinks. Because when you think the way that he thinks, he's got control over your life. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And it talks about putting on a whole bunch of armor, including the helmet of salvation. And when you're being attacked in the area of your mind, the greatest protection is knowing that you know that you know that Jesus Christ died for you, that it's by grace you have been saved, and that God is fighting for you, not against you, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you that he loves us with an everlasting love. When you start meditating on all that stuff, that rubbishy stuff in the mind just gets broken. Chains are broken. Captives are set free when the presence of God comes down. And I tell you what, the presence of God can't help but come down when you start meditating on Jesus and what he's done for you. Let's have the musicians come, please. What stops people from being saved? Well, some people are just resistant to the gospel because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. We can break through in prayer. That's why we're doing a prayer walk in a month's time because we want to break through and we want to join together with all of our brothers and sisters. In fact, what we're going to probably do is I'm going to put a map up uh, of Whangarei and we'll put it up in the foyer and we'll have a felt tip pen there And if you're going to do a prayer walk in your street, just highlight the street. You're going to do it. And we'll just see how many streets in Whangarei we can get prayed for. Amen? Let's see if we can get a total coverage of our city and see what God will do. God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's a journey. But it's a transformational journey. So what's your next step? What do you need to do? When you leave this service, what are you going to do to take another step in seeing your mind and your life transformed? Some of you are going to have to get into the Word. Some of you are going to have to resurrect your prayer lives. Some of you are going to have to spend time pulling down 
wrong thoughts. Some of you are going to have to ring up a friend and say, hey, would, would you just help, help me? Would you pray for me? I'm just really struggling in these areas. But whatever it is, do something. All of us have come from a Herodian or worldly mindset. Many of us have transitioned through a pharisaical mindset to a, a coming into the light of a kingdom mindset. Let's see what God will do. What could God do in and through us if we all really got transformed by the renewing of our mind? I tell you what, He'd turn the city upside down. Amen? Why don't you stand with me?